We are in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, at the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. And as soon as you find him, report to me so that I may too go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you. Your word is truth. Your word is living and it's sharper and it's active, more active than any two-edged sword. Your word is God-breathed. And Father, you have given us your word so that we would be able to know you. You've given us your word so that we will be able to know how to love you and how to follow what it is that you ask us to do. You've given us your word so that we can grow. And Father, today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is my deepest prayer that we not just simply hear the word, but that we do what it is that you ask us to do with what it is that we've heard. You are drawing us. It is not a coincidence that we are here today. Jesus, you said in your word that my Father is always at his work. And even to this day, you are pursuing us to have a relationship with us. You are drawing us. You are leading us here. And for some of us today, we are here. We don't even know why it is that we're here. But the fact that, God, you have been stirring in our heart a hunger and a desire for you. Lord, there are some today here who are here because you have been speaking in a very clear way to them. And I pray that, God, as we hear your voice today, we will respond. We will respond in worship. We will respond by giving you the treasure of our hearts. Come now and be worshipped and praised in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Very rarely do I mention resources, but I'm going to mention two today that um, you might want to take down a pen, put this on your Kindle. You can get this in like, what, two minutes. Two resources, or one resource, I'll just, it's kind of a blanket. Anything that Kenneth Bailey writes, you, you Google Kenneth Bailey, anything that Kenneth Bailey writes, you get. His work on Jesus, one of his works that he wrote was Jesus in, through the eyes of people from the Middle East. Amazing. It brings the Christmas story to life. It really shows it. I'm not, maybe next year we'll go into that more. But he does an excellent job as well with the Magi and talking about them. 
Another person's work that you might want to look at that's very good is another guy by the name of Donald Richardson, and he wrote Eternity in Their Hearts. It's an excellent, excellent book. Because Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 says that God has put eternity in the hearts of everyone. Do you realize that in every single culture, there is, there are, there is like a flood story, there's, a, there's an account of, of a book that was lost, even in our part of the world, in Yunnan province, there are many, many different tribes, but I'm going to name just like five or six. The Lisu, the Lahu, the Wa, the Shan, the, the Kachin, and the Karen. Those tribals, every single one of those tribes has, has, in, their, has in, in their oral history a book, a book that was lost, a book that told them the way it was to live, but through negligence, through leaving the book out, dogs ate it or other things happened, and they lost this book. But in every one of those cultures... They have this prophecy. One day a person with a white face, a white face brother, is going to bring this book, the book back, the book that they've lost, and will share that book with them, and then they will know how it is that they are to live. So imagine in the 1700s, in 1795, when a British group went to Burma, and the Burmese people, some of the Lisu people, saw saw this British um, British magistrate there, and they, they came up to him and they said, do you have the book? He was not a believer. He had no idea what it was that they were talking. Crestfallen, they went away. They had been looking, they had been hoping for this book. So that when people like Adoniram Judson came into, came into Burma, there were, the fields were right to harvest. Why? Because they'd been waiting all of these years for someone to bring that book that they had lost. Then now go ahead several more years to the early 1900s. The Wa people. The Wa people are also a group in, in Yunnan province, in, in southern, southern China, in northern Burma, that area. And there was a man. He was not a believer. He was a shaman. But he said, a man with a white face is going to come. or You, you need to go find a man with a white face, and he has the book that's going to tell you, the book that we've lost. He said, you saddle that pony... And you follow that pony until that pony stops. And that pony will lead you to the place of where you will hear the truth. Now you think about that. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. That pony walked for seven days and stopped at a well. And they thought, what's going on? This pony didn't stop for seven days. And he stopped right there at the well. And when they looked into the well, up from inside the well, there were two blue eyes that looked up at him. And the man spoke to them in Sean. And he said, what can I do? How can I help you? And they looked at this white face and they said, do you have the book that we're looking for? And it turns out, and, and, and he, said, he said, yes, I have this book. But, and they said, this pony is saddled for you. Please come back to our village. We have been waiting. He said, there are thousands of people who have been waiting to hear about this book that you have that will tell us how to live. And Donald Richardson writes in his book, if God can lead seven Lisu people, seven Wa people, excuse me, to this place, after seven days, he can surely lead the Magi right to where he was. God is drawing people, isn't he? God is looking for worshipers. As you look at, the, as you look at your sheets that you have in your, in your bulletins, as you walk along with that, God has put eternity in the hearts of people. That's the first thing. But God, the second thing is that God is seeking for worshipers. Now, at first blush, that's almost like, isn't that a little egotistical? That some, you know, how would you feel if someone were to say to you, I, I, I need you to worship me? It would be wrong for everybody else except God. 
And you look at God, if you have time today, go back to the 40th, the 40th chapter of Isaiah. It gives an amazing picture. Isaiah has kind of been doom and gloom and doom and gloom up until chapter 40. And then it begins to talk about who God is and the, and the majesty and the honor of who God is. For anybody else to receive worship, it would be wrong, except for God. He is worthy of our worship, isn't he? Amen? He is absolutely worthy of our worship. And he says in John chapter 4, verse 23, or excuse me, in Isaiah, in Isaiah he says, um, let me get to here, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. He says, the people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oh, I pray. I, I pray that that's, that's not true of us. But sadly, sometimes it is, isn't it? We can be singing, Oh, come all ye faithful. Oh, I have to buy a gift this afternoon. Oh, and that's right. I got to pick up the stuff over there. Oh, this season's so busy. You know, we get like that, don't we? We're singing the songs, but it's just words that are coming out of our mouth. Remember, He is worthy of our worship, even if He does nothing at all. And it says in John chapter 4, verse 23, that he is seeking for worshipers. He is seeking for worshipers. Over 4.6 billion people in this world are oral learners. They don't learn through, they don't, they don't have books. They learn, through, they learn through stories. They're looking. And the thing of it is, God is the God who speaks every single one of those languages. And God is the God who is drawing every single person to himself. Why? Because God is seeking for worshipers. But those who worship him must worship him how? In spirit and in truth. We don't come to church on Sunday morning to worship. Please, please no. You don't come to church on Sunday morning to worship. Come to church on Sunday morning worshiping. It is an extension of what we've been doing all throughout this week. Your work, the way in which you treat your wife, the way in which you spend your money, the way in which you spend your time is all worship, isn't it? And Sunday morning is an extension of that. It's an extension of that time of praise. We worship Him in spirit and in truth. Do our kids know when we're pulling the wool over their eyes? Do our kids know when we're not, when we're not being honest with them? Yeah, they, they do. They can see right through it, can't they? Does God know when we're honest? Does God know when worship flows from our hearts and it is honest? You may not be able to sing a tune in a bucket. I mean, you, my, my grandfather, oh, it was painful. Love him. I can't wait to see him again in heaven. But Lord, but blessings on him. He, he was tone deaf. And so when he sang, it was painful. It was painful to stand next to him. Grandpa stood over here, and Grandma stood over here, and she had a really high, squeaky voice when she, when she sang. It was like really, really hard to be by them. But he sang with all of his heart. My grandpa, tone deaf, sang with all of his heart because it came from his heart. God is looking for worshipers. Can I ask you this question this morning? How did you come this morning? Did you come to put in time or did you come to worship the king? The magi come. They come to, they come to Jesus. And it's interesting. Um, I, I sometimes feel bad when, when my kids were little. Uh, I'll just 
for some of you who have little ones, I won't, I won't be the bearer of bad news. But you know, the, you know the guy in the red suit with the white fluffy beard? Well, we told our kids very early on that uh, it wasn't real. Well, boy. So one of my kids, my daughter, told the kids down the street that, oh, yeah, he, is, he isn't real. Oh, boy. She came stomping over to our house and asked, which one of your kids told my kids that he wasn't real? And sometimes I feel like that with what I'm going to say next. When we see the Magi on Christmas cards at the manger scene, where, where do we often see the Magi? We see them on the night that Jesus was born. But is that? It's not. What, what, is, what does Scripture say? After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, could have been up to two years' time. You say, how could it have been up to two years' time, Pastor? When Herod goes to take care of all of the babies that were, that were born in Bethlehem, where does he start? From two years and down. Jesus is living in a house now in, in Bethlehem. So in, or, yeah, in Bethlehem. They come after. What else do we know about the, about the Magi? Or, uh, but as well, they came, the Magi came to worship him. And the Magi came after. But they come with the express purpose that we've come to worship. We've come to worship thinking, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We've come to what? We've come to worship him. They were drawn. They were drawn to the place. They were led to the place of where they would find the Messiah. I, I find that that's just amazing. You are not here this morning by coincidence. You are here because God has been leading and working in your life. You say, well, I don't believe in God. doesn't matter. God believes in you and is pursuing you to have a relationship with you. And he is relentless in his pursuit. Think of the effort that God went through to bring these magi to himself, to bring them to the place of where they would find him. And then think about the effort that God has been making in your life. Has he put Christians around you? Has he been speaking to your heart and you know that God has been at work in your life, has he? I believe very, very clearly that he has been. God drew the Magi to the place of where they would find him. Now, who are the Magi? The Magi, it says that um, they came from the east. It's interesting. Verse 1 says, Magi from, Magi, came, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. The east, it's interesting. Be careful of walking over little phrases. When it says... Um, Actually, yeah, right there. When it says that they came from the east, be careful of running over little phrases like that. The east, in biblical thinking, is always the direction away from God. Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter two, when they, when, or Genesis chapter three, excuse me, when Adam and Eve are cast out of the garden, where are they sent? They are sent east of Eden. When Cain, after killing his brother Abel, where is he sent? He's sent east again. East is always the direction away from God. And here God is drawing these men to himself. Who were they? They were people. They were learned men. They, these were men who studied the stars. Uh, let me get that page here. They were men who studied the stars. They were Gentiles. They were Gentiles. They were not Jews. And they were men who were without hope. Here's the thing. God loves you so much. We saw that verse, that the steadfast love of the Lord never changes. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. That steadfast love, that word in the Hebrew is chesed. And chesed is a word that means faithful love. 
God is faithful and God loves us so much that he's not willing that we should spend an eternity apart from him. And he will move heaven and earth if he needs to, to draw us to himself. That is how deeply he loves us. These guys are without hope. They're in a place where they wouldn't, hear, wouldn't have heard about God. Where were they from? Could be modern day Iran, that area of the world. And here's why I bring up Kenneth Bailey's work. Because Kenneth Bailey, in his writing of the book called Jesus Through the Eyes of People from the Middle East, says this. When they talk about people coming from the East, it is never from the area of Iran or Iraq. That's north. When they speak of people coming from the East, it is from Saudi Arabia. Could be. I don't know. All I know is that God was at work in these guys' lives. These were people without hope. Just like every single one of us here. That's, why do I talk and why do I froth at the mouth about bringing people tomorrow night to church? Because they're without hope. Apart from Christ, they have no hope. And God is the one who is seeking worshipers. God is the one who is at work in lives. And I think about that AIC. We exist to bring God glory. And God is given glory when people are brought into His kingdom. When people, when people come to worship Him. They come... And you know, God drew, God drew these men from, it, it could have been Iran. It, you know, even today, God is still at work drawing people. We have in our church, we have a couple, they're mark, what we call marketplace missionaries. They're with our denomination. And they work in China and they work here in, in Hong Kong. I was t- talking to a friend of mine who was a marketplace missionary in Turkey. And he, was, he related this story when I heard it, Bob blew every circuit in my, in my head. They're right on the border of Turkey and Iran. And one day the people in the church, this marketplace missionary, along with the people in the church, just felt an overwhelming need to get as many Bibles as what they could, throw them into the car, and take them across the border into Iran. They didn't know why. They didn't know why they were doing this, but they just, that God wouldn't leave them alone. So they put all these Bibles, all the Bibles that they could find, put them in the car, in the trunk of the car, and went, and went on, the, uh, on a road to the Iran border. And they, they crossed the border, and they were on the road, and the road was terrible. And they said there was a snowstorm, and because of the snowstorm, they couldn't see the road well, and the car went off the, off the, off the road into the ditch. And they're thinking, now what? And all of a sudden, they hear a knock at the window. And they look up, and here's a guy staring at him in the face with a big beard, and he's staring at him in the face. And they roll down the window and he says, do you have the books? And he says, what books? And they said, three days ago, or four days ago, he said, I had a dream. And in that dream, he said, I met a man who said his name was Jesus. And he told me to go to this road and wait at this road. He said, someone would come and bring us the books that would help us to be able to find him. And he said, when I, when I woke up, he said, I thought I was the only one who had that dream. He said, my other two sons had the exact same dream. He said, we have been waiting here by this road for two days, and you're the first car that's passed. Do you have the books? A God who does that is a God who deeply, deeply cares. God drew these magi to himself. And you know, the way in which God drew them is so cool. He drew them. He drew them. And, they, and as they come... They were drawn to Jerusalem. He said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Why did they come? They were drawn to worship. And they were drawn to to Jerusalem. And you know what it says? They came in the days of, of King Herod. And when Herod hears the news, where is he who's what? Been born king of the Jews. 
This already happened in their minds. And they come to Jerusalem. Why? Why do they come to Jerusalem? Where else would you find the king? Where else would you find the king of the Jews? But there's a big problem. There's a guy by the name of Herod who's sitting on the throne. Herod in the eyes of the Romans was somebody who they liked. Herod was one of the few kings that was able to keep the peace in Israel. That was not an easy task. Herod was the one who also was able to bring in all the taxes that the Roman government required. Herod also did a lot of building. He rebuilt the temple. Uh, But that's about all of the good things that Herod did. Herod was a tyrant. Herod was a monster. And as he grew older, Herod became paranoid of anybody who even smacked of, of of wanting his throne. It was said by Caesar Augustus, that it would be better to be, and there's a play on the words, the Greek words here, it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be Herod's son. The word pig and son are very close in the Greek. And Herod was, was so paranoid that even toward the end of his life, he knew that no one would grieve over him when he died. So he ordered the execution upon his death. He ordered the execution of a whole bunch of people around him so that they would mourn kind of man that Herod is. And the Magi come and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod, it says that he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. No kidding. When Herod was angry, heads rolled. And yet, this is where God led them. And it's interesting. It's interesting. God has been drawing these Magi. They, they, they're coming from a long ways away. It could be modern-day Iran. It could be modern-day Saudi Arabia. But whatever the, where they're coming from, they've been drawn from a long ways away. And they've listened to the voice of God. That is huge. If God is drawing you, if God is speaking to you, He is not speaking to hear Himself talk. He's speaking so that we would be obedient to what it is that He's asking us to do. And they were drawn And they came in obedience. They didn't know where the king was. But they came, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? It's interesting. They come. And when Herod asked the question, where's the king to be born? Boy, the chief priests and the rulers, they say, in Bethlehem in Judea. And Matthew, they don't say what that that prophecy there. It comes out of Micah chapter 5. Matthew adds this in. They say Bethlehem in Judea. They they know exactly where he's going to be born. And Matthew quotes the prophecy, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are least among the thousands, out of you shall come forth to me, the one to be ruler over all Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. He sees the correlation between the prophecy and what's going on here. These religious leaders could spout chapter and verse of where, of what, where the Messiah was coming, but they missed him. Why did they miss him? They were busy keeping their rules and their regulations, weren't they? And you know, it can be easy to miss God, to miss the treasure that's right there in our midst, to miss Him in the midst of busyness. Are you too busy to have time for God in this, in this Christmas season? Could I ask you to do this one thing? Two days. That as you gather around the table to eat your meal, supper, dinner, whatever it is, Dads, would you take the Word of God down and would you read again the Christmas story? Would you read again the Christmas story and would you take time? Not only were they busy, but Herod, he had no room for a king because he was king. 
And does God have any room in our hearts? Because sometimes we're sitting on the throne of our hearts. And God is saying, I long for you to be this. I long for you to do this. And we're saying, when I get around to that, or when I have time, or when it's convenient for me, God, that's not what God's looking for. You see, we gave up that right. The day that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, it says this in the book of Acts. He says, he died to be what? Both Lord and Savior. Do you notice the, do you notice the word order there? We often look and say, he died to be my Savior. We got fire insurance now. We don't have to worry about going to hell. But did he die just to be your Savior? No, he died to be both Lord and Savior. And is he? Is he Lord over all that you have? Herod had no time for a king because he was king. The rulers of the day, the religious rulers of the day, missed Jesus because they were busy keeping all of the, all their laws. They were led by God. They were led by God, and it's interesting. God spoke their language, didn't he? These were men who looked at the stars. And, and you know, I'm not going to go into tons of detail. You can go on the Internet. You can find all kinds of stuff about what, the, what was the star. I don't know what the star was. I have a hunch in my, own, in my own mind. I think it was a supernatural appearance that God used to get the attention of these men. But why would they come to Jerusalem? Why would they say that, that, uh, that where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Why? Because when they looked at the sky, the different quadrants of the sky, where that star appeared was where? Was in the area of Judea, in the area of Jerusalem. In fact, it gets even better than this. Do you realize that historians talk about it, that at this time, it wasn't just the Jews who were looking forward to this. The Romans and other people of that area and of that time said as well that a ruler was going to be coming out of Israel, out of the area of Judea. And so when they come, they come having been led, having been led right to that place. And when they come there and they find that no one is there, no one is looking, no one is celebrating the birth of the newborn king. Can you imagine they must have felt a little crestfallen when they see that nobody is looking for him? And when they see the star when they go back it says the star that they saw the star that they had seen first went ahead of them and i love this in in, in your niv bible i don't know if it, it if it says it it says that it, uh, they were overjoyed use one word where we came from in in minnesota I, I don't know how it is here in in hong kong but the people in minnesota are swedish they're norwegian they're they're from finland they're from Denmark. They're, they don't demonstrate a lot of emotion. Somebody once said, if a, if a person from Sweden or Norway, Norway is, is really excited, you may see their toe tap a little bit. <laughs> and when we talk about that, that they were overjoyed, I, I see my, my Scandinavian brothers in Minnesota in this way. That word overjoyed is four different words in the Greek language. They were overjoyed when they saw that star. They came to that place. Listen to this. They saw the star. The star led them to the place of where they said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? They hear that he's in Bethlehem. And when they set out, when they set out to find him, God is the one who goes before them. And in that, I really believe, is the Shekinah glory of God. The same glory that led the Israelites out of Egypt. 
and he led them exactly to the place. Would they be overjoyed? Would you be overjoyed? Think about it for some of you, some of you Filipinos, when you go back home, you haven't been back home for several years, and you go back home, and you see your friends, you see your loved ones, you see children that you have only seen on Skype for the last couple of years. Are you overjoyed, or are you exceedingly filled with overflowing joy? It's the latter, isn't it? And they came to worship. They had been drawn all these months and they've been drawn to worship the king. And now they come to the place and God is the one who goes before. Listen to this. You are not here by coincidence today. God is the one who is drawing you to himself because God is desiring to have a relationship with you. And you're saying, not with me. He wouldn't want me. God knows you. God sees you. God knows you. And he wants you. You're going to hear more about that tomorrow night. But God knows everything there is to know. And he extends grace. And he extends mercy towards you. What's grace and what's mercy? Let me, let me share an illustration. When I was first in ministry, because sometimes we don't get the idea of grace. Grace is getting something that I don't deserve. What I deserve is to spend an eternity apart from Christ. What I get is grace. Because what God gave to me, or what God gave to his son, is what I deserve. When I was first in ministry, we, uh, we got a call from a guy in our, in our church. Hey, pastor, can you come over? We've got a Christmas gift for you. As I'm walking up the sidewalk, <laughs> I could hear yelling. I mean, not just any kind of, I mean, yelling. I was working with the police department at the time as a chaplain, so I was like, Oh my word, do we have a domestic disturbance going on? I mean, this guy is really yelling. And I kind of tap on the door and, and this guy's wife comes and he was a big man. And she was just thin as a stick. And her eyes are like this. And, and I said, uh, Jan, what's going on? And I could hear her husband. He was just roaring. And, and I, I went over and I, and I said, Danny, I said, what, what's going on? And he said, and he was saying, Jan, take down the Christmas tree. Jan, take down the lights. There's no Christmas in this house this year. And I'm thinking, wow, Ebenezer lives. And so I said, Danny, Danny, I said, what is going on? And he said, I told these kids last year, he said, if they looked in the Christmas gifts this year, there would be no Christmas in this house. See, they had three boys in this house. Two of them were twins. They were younger kids. The third one, the oldest one, he was like 13 and he was greasy. He, 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 was, he, he, was, he was a sneaky, conniving kid. And the year before, he'd gone through it. He'd looked at all the Christmas presents. So he knew what he was getting. And the dad, when he found out about that, he said, if that happens this year, he said, there's no Christmas in the house. And so he booby-trapped it. He set up a trap. And he said, I set up a trap. And he said, the trap was set. And he said, I knew I knew he would look in the gifts. He said, there's no Christmas in our house this year. And all the kids are, oh, they're, they're crying. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. What's, and, and he's got his car. He's got the door to the garage right here, and he's got the trunk to the, to the car open right here. And he's taking the Christmas gifts and just, shoo, 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 right into the trunk of the car. And I'm thinking, he is serious. He's going to go through with this. And his wife has taken down the Christmas tree. This was on Monday. Christmas that year was on a Saturday. And, he's, and she's taking all this stuff down. The kids are just crying. And I'm thinking, oh, what am I, what am I going to do here? And he said, he said, Jan, give me all the receipts. And so he, she took the receipts and he said, come on, pastor. He said, we're going to take these gifts all back. And he, shoom, 
threw down the trunk and slammed the door. We got out in the garage and he said, I'm going to teach those kids a lesson they'll never learn. He just drove around the block. (laughs) And all week long, the gift sat in the trunk of his car. Come Saturday morning, those kids came downstairs and they thought there's just going to be another Saturday morning, uh, watch cartoons and eat cereal by the, ta- by, the, by the TV. And when they came downstairs, there was Christmas all set up. Now, what did Dad say? Dad said, if you look in the gifts, there's no Christmas. Did he have every right to go through with that? He did. Kind of tough, but he did. But what he gave them was what they didn't deserve. That's grace. You see, God is the one who's leading you. God is the one who's pursuing you. And God is the one who is wanting to offer you grace. To give you what you don't deserve. To give you forgiveness. To give you a relationship with a real God. And when they come, it's interesting. When they come, it says that when they, when they saw him, can you imagine that? This blows every circuit in my head when I think about that. Here's Mary at the door. They knock at the door. The door opens up. And maybe Joseph is the one who opens the door. And behind them, here's Mary. And I don't know if Jesus is holding her hand. I don't know if he's in arms yet or or not. But when they see him, the one that they have waited to see, what do they do? It says that they bowed down after they heard... or um, Then... It says, on coming to the house, verse 11, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. When they saw him, in our culture in America, we rarely bow before anybody. But when they bowed, it wasn't just bow to the knee. It's bow to the knee and then put your face on the ground before. Not before Mary, but before whom? Before Jesus what they had come seeking, what they had been led to. They came and it was brought to fruition. And when they, when they saw him, they not only worshipped him with their bodies, but they worshipped him with their treasures. And sometimes, sometimes the treasure is right in front of us. And we fail to realize that the treasure is there. I'm going to show you a video. But I, gotta, I have to preface it so you guys can get that set up. I have to preface it first. There is a television show in the United States called Antiques Roadshow. I, I love the show because it's, uh, these people, some of them, they bring in their junk, and, and it's just that. It's just junk. And the people, you know, they think, oh, they've got something that's going to be worth thousands of dollars, and the guy tells them, you may get $2.50 for this thing. But other people bring in stuff, and they have no idea what it is, like this guy that you're going to see. And you find out what, what happened. I'll just I'll let the story play out. Before I tell you what I know about this uh, weaving here, you've got a little bit of history. It sounds uh, quite interesting. First, tell me what you know about it. Well, I don't know an awful lot about it, except that uh, it was given by Kit Carson, uh, who I'm sure everybody knows uh, in his history, given to the foster father of my grandmother. And do you know who made this weaving? Do you know what kind of blanket it is? Uh, it's a, probably a Navajo, but uh, that's about all I know. So you haven't had anybody look at it? Nobody's or? ever looked at it that I'm aware of. Well, Ted, did you notice when you showed this to me that I kind of stopped breathing a little bit? Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm you still having me, a little bit of trouble breathing here, Ted. It took uh, me by surprise because I 
you know, didn't think much about it. Probably a chief's blanket. But. That's exactly what it is. And it's not just a chief's blanket. It's the first type of chief's blanket made. These were made in about 1840 to 1860, and it's called a ute first a, phase. A ute? A ute first phase wearing blanket. A ute chief's first wearing phase blanket. wearing blanket. But it's Navajo made. They were made for ute chiefs. And they were very, very valuable at the time. This is sort of this is Navajo weaving in its purest form. All of these things that we see later with diamonds and all kinds of different patterns comes much later than this. This is just pure linear design. This is yeah. the, the, the beginning of Navajo weaving. Wow. And not only that, the condition of this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wow. We see these. In, in We've got a little of the, bit of damage over there. We have a the damage, very interesting thing here. This is this is almost like silk. It's made from handwoven wool, yeah. but it's so finely done. It's like silk. Wow. It would repel water. And this here is dyed with indigo dyes. It was a very valuable dye at the time. And what's really interesting is right here we have an old repair that was probably done in the 1860s, and it's wow. done with rivaled bayetta, which is in itself. A uh, very important thing in Navajo uh, Navajo weaving. So, uh, all involved. It's an extraordinary piece of art. It's extremely rare. It is the most important thing that's come into the roadshow that I've seen. Um, do you have a sense at all of what you're looking at here in terms of value? I haven't a clue. Are uh, Are you a wealthy man, Ted? No. Well, sir, um, I'm I'm still a little nervous here. I have to tell you, uh, on a really bad day. This textile would be worth $350,000. On a good day, it's about a half a million dollars. Oh, my God. You had no idea. I had no idea. I'm just laying on the back of a chair. Well, sir, you have a national treasure. Okay. Just on the back of the chair. I mean, how many people sat on 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 that blanket? You looked at it, it's just, there's nothing fancy about that blanket. The treasure was right there. That sold for $1.8 million U.S. It was a treasure. It was right there in their midst. How many times had they sat on it? How many times had they looked at it? Where was it in the house? And this guy later on goes to talk about how, how poor that his parents were. And they didn't realize the treasure that they had right in their midst. And sometimes we fail to realize the treasure that is in our midst. And that is Jesus Christ the treasure that was given for you. He is worthy of our worship, isn't he? The gift the Magi's gave to Jesus was not gold, not just gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The gift that they gave him was worship. And I think of all the gifts that we've talked about this Christmas, Mary gave the gift of being a servant. Joseph gave the gift of his time, of, of his presence. And the Magi gave worship. I think he's worthy of all those, isn't he? Don't miss the treasure that is right in your midst. In the midst of all the packages, in the midst of all the food and all the stuff around Christmas, make worship the most important thing that you do because he's worthy of it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we, as we close in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for speaking our language. In this room, there are many, many different languages represented. We all have a story to tell. 
You have been at work in our lives, drawing us to the place, God, of where you want us to be. And you are relentless in your pursuit. For some of us, God, you have been working in the midst of difficult times. For others of us, you have put within our hearts a God-sized hole that only you can fill. You've put in our hearts a hunger that just will not go away, a restlessness that we just cannot explain. And God, it's you. You're drawing us to yourself. And the same God who led the Magi, the same God who led the men to put the Bibles in the back of their car, the same God who led that pony to to the guy in the well, is the same God who works in our lives as well. Father, I pray that we'd have time for you this year. I pray that we would give up the throne of our hearts to the true King. And I pray that, God, we would worship you in spirit and in truth because you're worthy. We thank you, God, for coming to this earth and extending grace upon grace upon grace towards us. And we thank you for all this in Jesus' holy name. This morning as you came, just with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe God has been speaking to your heart and and you came here and it's like, I don't even know why I'm here this morning. But as you've been listening to the word of God, you know you need to do something with what it is that you've heard this morning. For some of you, that begins with a relationship with Christ. You've never given your life to Christ. That's why he came. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to pray to receive that precious gift that God has given. You say, well, what do I have to do? Three pretty simple things. The first is you have to admit that you're a sinner. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need to admit that first thing. The second is that we need to admit that we're a Savior. We can do a lot, but we can't get ourselves to heaven. And the third thing is we need to receive that gift. If you have never yet prayed to receive that gift, I want you to raise up your hand if you want to pray to receive Christ because I want to pray with you right now to receive Christ. For some of you, you came here this morning and as you've heard, God has been speaking to your heart. Your treasure has been you. You're the one who sits on the throne of your heart. And this morning where you're at, just in the quietness of your heart, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just give him back the place that he rightly deserves? And would you give him the treasures of your heart? Father, I thank you for meeting us, for speaking the truth into our hearts this morning. And I pray that as we leave here today, that we will leave changed because we've met you. How gracious of you to meet with us. How kind of you to take the time to speak our language and to speak to us in such a way that we get it. All the glory and all the honor and all the praise belongs to you because you're worthy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. May the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you. May you celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. After the last song, you are dismissed.